Hey, Cam. Yeah, Miles? Have you ever heard of Mary and Max? Is that a sequel to Sam and Max I haven't heard of? Huh, not even close. Welcome everyone to another installment of Have You Ever Heard Of? I'm your host, Miles. And I'm Cam. And today we're going to look at a little movie known as Mary and Max. For those of you who don't know this movie, it's a 2009 Australian claymation about a seven-year-old Mary who mm-hmm. writes from, from her home in rural Australia to Max, an autistic atheist who is 40 years old from New York. That is quite the age difference. Yes. Uh, this is a excellent little movie. Uh, very few people really know much about it. It was written and directed by Adam Elliott, and it was his first animated feature film. Wow, nice. Uh, the voices actors that are included in this are Philip Seymour Hoffman, Tony Collette, Eric Bana, and Bethany Whitmore, with narration provided by Barry Humphreys. Now, Cam, you've seen this movie. Would you recommend it? Absolutely, I would recommend this movie. I can't think of a single person who I think shouldn't see this movie. Um, yeah, no, I I cannot think of a single person who should not see this movie. I It is that good of a movie that everyone should watch it. Yes, even babies, even, you know, those that are in the womb should watch it somehow. Well, I don't know if I'd go that far to say, but... Uh... It's definitely a movie that I'd say, I I would say it's like PG-13, because it does deal with a lot of heavy subject matter. Uh, it touches on all a huge gambit of issues that everybody is plagued with, whether you have autism, whether you're just a normal person, you have depression, mm-hmm. you live alone, you have relationships, you don't. It touches on all of that. Yeah, I I agree. I just mean more in the sense of considering the relationship as it uh, as it is described between even just a seven year old, um, the subject matter that gets covered in that way. I sit there and I go, well, if you as a parent feel that your child is mature enough to go along with what's happening, then I don't see any reason why you shouldn't have them watch this movie. But I'm an outlier here, okay? I mean, I was seven years old when I saw Total Recall, so uh, maybe I'm not the best judge of what's appropriate for children. I feel like I was five or six when I watched Starship Troopers. Yeah, yeah. I feel like we've talked about this before. Didn't we we say this during Plague Dogs as well? Uh, The same thing of how, yeah, you should watch this movie if your parents think you can handle it. That's very true. However, I will say that this one doesn't hit the same way that Plague Dogs does. So in that way, that's why I say that I would more easily recommend it to more people. Yes, this is definitely not in the realm of Plague Dogs. Mm -hmm. It talks about a a lot of important things, but it definitely doesn't have that that weight that Plague Mm -hmm. Dogs has. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. But, uh, well, as we all say, please, please, please go watch this movie. It is worth every minute of its hour and a half runtime. Now, let's cut to a little music and give everybody a little bit of time to watch this masterpiece. Mm -hmm. Yeah, have some K-sera-sera in the background. (laughs) We should just, like, sing along with it a little. (laughs) We'll do the K-sera part. Will I be rich? Here's what she said to me. K-sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be. The future's not ours to see. K-sera, sera. Okay, so let's start this off talking now that we have gone into the spoiler area mm-hmm. i want to first of all say about the plot that this is not a true story okay it's this not? was yeah this was not a true story it oh. was inspired by a story around the creator 
Oh, so does that, wait, so was he the 40-year-old Max or was he the 7-year-old Mary in this situation? Well, he would be more of a 7-year-old. Okay, so not Mary, but he would be the child. (laughs) Okay, so he would have been the child in this. 7-year-old. Adam? 7-year-old Adam, yes, there we go. (laughs) Now, Adam did write letters to a guy Mm -hmm. in America. I'm pretty sure it actually was New York. And that person did have autism and write him back. And they actually carried it on for quite a while. I mean, he didn't go and follow the footsteps that Mary did, as we'll get into it. But he, uh, you know, he just wanted to kind of capture this this story Mm -hmm. and present it to everybody because it had a pretty profound impact on his life. And he wanted to try to get that to everybody else. I think he nailed it. Yeah, Uh, I would, excuse me, I would say that... um... It felt real to me. It. I honestly thought that this was actually the whole thing was an actual relationship. That's why I'm so surprised when you say this was not a true story. I mean, granted, there are some aspects of the plot that I felt maybe were a little, you know, jazzed up. But the main plot beats, I thought, were authentic. Like... Her struggles, her getting married, and her, you know, sinking into depression after her marriage kind of falls apart, and everything there. What about about his plot points, too? Like, the first time he receives this letter and decides to open it, and then he has a panic attack, and then every time that he replies to her messages or gets another message, he has another panic attack to the point where he gets put into an insane asylum. Yeah. Like, he's not used to dealing with these things. Yeah, I'd say that was pretty accurate, too. There were quite a few moments where every time uh, Barry Humphreys, our uh, narrator, would talk about how, oh, yep, and so Max gets this letter, and then he reads through it, and then all of a sudden he goes and has a panic attack. And I'm sitting there going, uh-huh, that's relatable. Maybe not the whole losing entire weeks to it, but panic attack is relatable. Uh, so let's continue with, on with the story. So you mean let's you, talk want, you about... want to start with the story? Yes, <laughs> going so, to the finer details. Mary is our main one of our main protagonists. Uh, mm-hmm. Decides to tear out a piece of a phone book yep. and write to somebody in the in the Americas and gets Max, as we said before. And she ends up actually making her life around this relationship they have. Uh, she decides to go study mental yeah. health, yeah, essentially. She, yeah, she becomes, she gets a doctor in psychology to um, effectively try to treat autism. I say that, you know, with scare quotes around it. But again, that's something else we'll we'll dive into in a bit. Well, we can dive into that right now. Okay. So in in the movie, they don't call it autism. They actually call it from its uh, original name way back. They call it Asperger's. Yeah. Now, of course, nowadays that is not correct. Uh, Yeah. So normally we that are on the spectrum, we would just say that we have autism spectrum disorder. Um, I was diagnosed a few years ago with being on the spectrum. And I recall that uh, the doctor that diagnosed me had said, see, under the old system, we would say that this was Asperger's syndrome, but we're moving away from that um, because uh, he had said that it's kind of a limited term now. Um, One of the big things was saying that generally... If you have Asperger's syndrome, it means that you have no imagination. And he was like, but you have plenty of, of imagination. And so does um, Dan Aykroyd, who is also a very famous person who is has Asperger's. And so it's like, this doesn't make any sense. So we're going to change the DSM and we're going to stop calling it Asperger's. We're just going to say you are on the spectrum. Yeah. Whether you're high functioning or low functioning, you're just on that nice big spectrum. Now... In my case, they thought I might have autism because I'm a very slow reader and I have a few other things. But then they found out that I have the ADD, not the hyperactivity attention deficit disorder. But on top of that, uh, they also found out I have Erlen syndrome, which makes reading very difficult for me, which kind of explains why I never really got into the books all that much and uh, all that. So they said that I probably have a touch of 
autism, but not enough to really be worried about or really do any in-depth studies for since my main issue is attention deficit disorder. Yes, you can function just fine living on your own. You don't need to have someone to come and feed your fish when you're having a panic attack. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, this is, this is the interesting thing with Max and why a whole lot of what is presented in the film is so... Uh, scarily relatable to me is things like how yes he lives on his own yes he goes to work he goes to his um, uh, overeaters his anonymous. overeaters anonymous uh, sessions and things like that and he is able to function in society to a point and I can do all of those things too do I function at my best nope I sure don't I absolutely do need to have someone like a roommate or a neighbor or someone to help me through my daily tasks because I will forget. And that's not a good thing. And if I do forget, I might also just not do them because I'll have my own form of a panic attack of just like, oh, God, I haven't done this. And oh, great. I need to do it again. And just it cycles. Exactly. And it just gets worse and worse again. I can't relate to just like standing on his toilet for a week on end and just kind of, you know, rocking back and forth. Nope. I've never had that happen before, but the idea, very relatable. So a lot of the other characters are also really interesting and they kind of help prove the point of uh, where everything goes. Um, You know what? Let's just jump right into the characters here. All right. So... With Mary, Mary well, with Mary, uh, some of the other characters are Vera, her mother, who has an obsession with tasting the cooking cherry. Mm, Got to make sure it's prime. It it goes, it goes bad quick. Apparently, I don't know. I don't drink, so uh, (laughs) Uh, her father Noel, Mm -hmm. I believe that's his name, uh, who has a job of attaching strings to tea bags and a hobby of taxidermy and avian roadkill. Yeah, I, and that's it. He, yeah. He, he doesn't talk. He doesn't talk. He doesn't say anything. Uh, after he retires, he actually decides to take on another hobby, which was um, basically metal finding on the beach. Oh, yeah, right. Where he uh, just does the whole thing where he just beachcomb, basically. Beachcombing, that's what it is. Effectively. Uh, and I believe he committed suicide. Now, this is not confirmed, but the way that it presented, he wasn't exactly the happiest of people, and the work probably helped ke- keep him going. Mm. But uh, the way that they show it is he's just kind of beachcombing, and then a big wave comes by and picks him up and leaves the metal detector behind. So, I don't know. To me, the way that that kind of points out, it goes by an old family saying, uh, and that generally goes with mostly dogs. But uh, when their time comes, they oh, just take they a just walk into the away. forest, yeah. right? Yeah. Well, in this case, since with Australia, since it's an island, I guess they just walk into the ocean. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, that's probably way better because there's no body to deal with. Because if he had just gone into the outback or something, I mean, they he probably would have been picked clean pretty quickly by any animals that were around. But still, at least when you go out into the ocean, your body just goes away. Yeah, <laughs> you don't, and your and your, uh, your family doesn't have to worry about sometimes it. Sometimes they come back, but not often. Yeah, right. <clears throat> but um, the, I mean, I can certainly believe that 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 it is a suicide as well. I mean, it's interesting that you mentioned about he his work was keeping him happy as well as his. Well, it was giving him purpose. I wouldn't say it was keeping right. him it's happy. It's not keeping him happy. It's giving him purpose. Sort of like what we talked about in Plague Dogs, right? Where yeah. you need to keep busy. Yes. Yeah. But since we are speaking about bodies and you have to love somebody, let's talk about Damien Pete. Yeah, what's his what's his last name again? Papadopoulos. Papa, Papadopoulos. Man, even I'm having trouble saying that. It's no wonder he's got a stutter. So Damien is the love interest of Mary, uh, who lives across the street from her. And he has a pretty bad stutter. And Mary's mom, Vera, said that you had to smack him on the back of the head to uh, get him to say his last name, Papadopoulos. Yeah, well, I mean, of course, of course, Vera would say that. Of course. She's not exactly a nice person. Now, one of the nice things about Damien is he and Mary ends up uh, marrying him. Mm -hmm. Uh, They kind of find a common interest on, uh, what would you call them, pen pals that they had. Yeah, So he has his own pen pal. Mary had Max, Mm -hmm. and Damien actually had his own pen pal that we don't really know about. We know that he's a sheep farmer from New Zealand. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And that's kind of all we need to know, really. Yes. It's not it's not Damien's story. Exactly. So uh, let's move on to the Max side of things. So we have Max, who's mm-hmm. the 44-year-old uh, atheist with autism. He doesn't really have a lot of... Well, he doesn't have any friends, to be honest. Yeah, not not like... Not that we would call friends. Yes. He has people in his life. Yeah, but they're, he doesn't really have that friendship around. And honestly, I actually see this. Uh, I have a friend who has a father who... He does have some friends, but he is actually pretty autistic. Mm-hmm. And he does kind of know it, but he doesn't want to admit it. He's not going to go get himself tested. He's, he just... He really withdraws in himself about it. But I see it all the time, and he's a great guy, and I really like him. I hang out with him a lot, but I can definitely see Max in him. Mm. So, Yeah, I, I can too in the few times that I've interacted with this person yes. that you're <laughs> referring to. I know who you're talking about. <laughs> now, he does decide to try to be Mary's friend because at the very least, he can kind of keep her at a distance with the letter writing, which I think is awesome, by the way. Well, I mean, he's encouraged to by his therapist, isn't he? Is. He? Yeah, yeah. He, he, when he does tell his therapist about it, he does say, you know, go ahead, try this out. What's the worst that can happen? Sure, if you don't like what's going on, you can always just ignore it or just say you don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what's the Which worst that perfect. can happen? <laughs> Honestly, I say that to a lot of people because I find a lot of people don't realize that the real worst that could happen isn't that bad. I think they a lot of people overemphasize how bad it could actually be. <laughs> so other people that Max knows is his neighbor, neighbor Ivy. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's sort of a blind person that realizes Max needs the help, but she's not, you know, she, she helps him out just keep herself busy, I guess. Uh, she's also a great person. Well, I think I think it kind of falls into the same thing that we uh, that 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 we've heard from Gord about. You take care of your neighbors, right? Oh, absolutely. You look after your neighbors, and your neighbors will look after you. I think there needs to be a lot more of that because we <laughs> see that both with um, Max's neighbor, with Ivy, and we also see that with Mary's neighbor too. I mean, we'll 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 get back to Mary. Oh, I forgot and, about and, him. Oh yeah, we'll 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 go back to her. We'll go back to him. But uh, for the meantime, we've got Ivy, um, and she very much is that person who the reason why Max is able to function anywhere close to what he manages is effectively just because of her. Every time he goes away somewhere or something like that, or if he's having a really big panic attack, she's there, she cooks food. She brings in his mail. She feeds Henry the 10th or 11th or 12th or 13th, whichever number we're on at that point. Yes. Because that's fish for you. They they just, uh, um, <laughs> they always die. So other people that uh, Mary deals with is her pet rooster. Mm-hmm. And he's around a lot. Well, I mean, Ethel just is there uh what was it ethel fell off of the back of a... ethel was a present from her dad i if i recall because he fell uh because ethel fell off of uh the back off of, of a truck, truck yeah because yeah. yeah she was gonna go off to become someone's dinner and instead she gets he. to keep right right <laughs> i don't know i guess because of the fact that ethel is i I feel is more of a female name, but you're right. Yep. It's a rooster. It's then, a he. Then we also have Ivan, who lives across the street from Mary and ends up uh, basically saving her life. And no, she's no, no, no. That's, that's Len you're Len. thinking of who does Sorry. that. Len. <laughs> Len's the one who's the, uh, who's, what does she say? She... He's a homophobic, so yes, he can't leave. Yes, that's right. It, yeah, can't that's leave right. his house. Yeah, that, oh, oh, man. Oh, the comedy in this is just so good. It's, it's that lovely childhood wonder and yep. that childhood, looking through the child's glasses, and oh, so good. I mean, it makes sense when you think about it that he can't really leave his house. So, of course, you know, he's got homophobia, but it's the whole he can't be outside, which is the agoraphobia, yeah. which is what he actually has. And I did like, and I did appreciate that they came back to that when she's older and more educated, Correct and she <laughs> actually corrects herself in saying what his issue is. Uh, even even the little things like that just add to the character growth. Oh yeah, so much. 
It's it's the again, it's the little things that make it feel more real. So I'm going to say finish it off that the last pe- person that we really need to touch on here is the narrator. The narrator is Barry Humphrey. Mm-hmm. And he does an outstanding job with this as well. But uh, one thing I do guess we have to kind of touch on here is the fact that how come nobody knows about this movie? Um, I don't know, Miles. Why is that? Because I hadn't heard of it until you told me. So Adam Elliott. Mm-hmm. He made this movie, but he didn't want to make this movie like he didn't really release it in a lot of theaters. He kind of just kept it in Australia. Oh, now, of course, not very many people know about it because it didn't it didn't get, get that huge release. ride release. Yeah. It wasn't it wasn't plastered on all the billboards and thrown in everybody's face like you've seen with all sorts of other movies. Mm-hmm. It was just a quiet movie that he just wanted to do. You know, to pay homage to his friend. And you know what? Good for it. him. Yeah. Good for him. Everybody I'm... in there as well. Like, like, thank you so much for doing this. Oh, yeah. I mean, Tony Collette, um, she doesn't do. I think I remember hearing one time that she is very picky about the the film roles that she takes because she doesn't want to just do anything so you know the reason why she did the sixth sense for example was because she really connected with the character of uh, of the mother of you know just trying to help her son through the daily struggles of getting bullied and thinking that there might be something wrong with him uh, because he's odd yeah because he sees dead people and that to her just seemed like more realistic than just being a stereotypical mother and so i would see that anyways um she probably was approached with this and she was like yeah absolutely this is awesome of course this is great i think anybody who read this script would have been like yes yes have me in this mm-hmm. regardless of who they were i you know what i could even see this being narrated by like ron Perl- perlman mm-hmm. like don't get me wrong it would be very different and have a different flow but even just like looking at this even somebody very particular, like I'm just imagining the way he the way he does the Fallout intro, <laughs> yeah, and 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 he's oh that brings a whole new apocalyptic approach on this, you know what? <laughs> and, and him having that cadence or something while I talking could, about Mary's life. I could see Keanu Reeves actually narrating this. That would actually be. Something. I think that would be really cool. That would be cool. You know what? I'm going to do this now. I think maybe for this one, we should attach Keanu Reeves' Twitter okay. account to this <laughs> and just ask him to like do a voiceover of this. So that way we could get more people to watch this movie because it is unbelievable. Yeah, that would actually be really cool. Just uh, or yeah, <laughs> I think he would probably I be think, down for a little snippet or something. I, I think we should at least try. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what's let's. The, uh, what's the what's the worst that can happen, right? Exactly. What's the worst thing that can happen? Mm-hmm. He says no. Okay, he's too busy. I don't mind. You know, at least we tried. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I want to kind of talk about the dialogue in this movie because mm-hmm. it is very important. It, it's basically all dialogue. Well, and it's all <laughs> letters, right? Yes. So because this takes place through physical mail, I have to ask you, Cameron. Uh huh. Is this going to be understandable to the generations below us? I guess is the best way to put this because a lot of people below our age. Uh huh. Do you know if they understand how long it takes for physical mail to get to places or how long it did take? I think so, but I'm not sure. I don't know. This might be something that I might need to ask some of the, you know, 17, 18 year olds that are in some of the choirs that I'm in and ask <laughs> ask them that question. See if they uh, if they even know like what a pen pal is in this instance. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's did you, one thing. Did you ever have a pen pal? Because we because we're nineties kids, right? So like, email was just becoming a thing when we would have been Mary's age. Yeah, I had an email pal when I was about thirteen. Um, okay, actually, so like probably early maybe two- a little younger. I think I was about twelve. So like went early two thousands, right? Yeah, early early two thousands. I went to Mexico and I. Um, we went to the resort. My parents had this great idea of going to this resort uh, one week before or a week and a half before spring break. 
So the only people that were at the resort were <laughs> basically 35 and above, except for this one kid who was like, I think he was eight and he was, he spoke mo- mainly Spanish. I think he came from Spain. Um, I kind not, of not necessarily from Mexico. No, no, no. He was from Spain. Oh, he was, he was in okay. Mexico for vacation. Ah, and him and I, I were like the only kids in the resort. So we kind of like hung out. We, we talked and we, you know, the, the language barrier was kind of hard there for me. And I do kind of wish I still kept in touch with him because I mean, I mean, I guess life gets in the way, but even still, I thought, I thought it was a pretty cool idea to just like talk with somebody and hang out. I forget what happened. I'm, I think I lost his email or something like that. Oh, I had but, a pen pal when I was seven or eight. I think I actually, I was going through some boxes a few weeks ago and, you know, stuff that had scrapbooking and memory things from years past and all this stuff from when I was in elementary school and most of that I kind of threw out because I didn't really need it anymore especially some of the drawing stuff because I'm not a very good drawer now and I wasn't any better then so (laughs) I don't exactly need to keep that around but I did find uh some pen pal letters or like correspondences from them and I looked at them and I sat there and I thought whoa I had a pen pal must not have been for very long because I don't remember. Like I must have maybe only written a couple times or something. I just didn't have the same type of uh, pen pal that Mary and Max are to each other. Yeah. So another thing I want to speak about since we are talking about Mary and Max, and it right. is kind of in the dialogue in the direction of this. Uh-huh. Mary and Max have a very interesting relationship, something that I don't really think very many people in this day and age do, but it's something that I remember reading about uh, when I was playing D&D with a guy who is super, uh, super heavy into the human history and that, Mm -hmm. and that is that back in Rome, in the ancient Rome times before Uh the fall and all that, right? Kids would actually find a mentor that generally wasn't their father or their mother. Ah. So they would go out and they'd find this person or the person may be like a family friend that's just kind of takes them under their wing and Mm -hmm. kind of like explains life to them. I guess it would be the equivalent of a better version of our comm class that we have up here in Canada. It kind of sounds more like... If you go to the big brothers, big sisters or the boys and girls club kind of thing yeah although maybe less that because in a way those are kind of there for kids that don't even have like parental figures and so they need some kind of like a person mentorship yeah Yeah. whereas what you're describing just sounds like the parents are just like we've done our task of raising you now go out there and learn how to live that's what his job is we're done yeah, that's kind of the what I got it from it. Uh, it wasn't so much live, it's just like understand. Right. Like right. you have your family teach you about the family values yes. and, the, you know, everything stays in that family. And then the mentor kind of gave you the heads up on like, hey, this is how you're supposed to treat friends. Mm-hmm. You know, help them out, but like don't give up everything for them. Yeah, right. Kind of. Um, one thing that eventually it did lead into was this is how you have sex. Mm, yes uh, right so well. this is why you know there there are a few <laughs> memes out there where you have like you know the mentor making the boy a man type thing yeah, but uh yeah. oh yes uh alexander the great and aristotle huh yeah you know <laughs> aristotle smacking alexander the great on the shoulder and going hey you see that guy there pointing up at alexander and you're like yeah or aristotle smacking some guy on the arm and uh points up to alexander grant says hey you see that yeah I made him a man. <laughs> I mean, if I recall, well, I don't I don't know. I don't I don't know how accurate it is and how much of it I'm just basing off of really bad Hollywood movies cuz I, I if I recall in the Alexander movie that they did back in the 2000s, that was a thing where Aristotle is like don't forget who made you a man and that sort of thing and Alexander is always trying to brush him off. Well, I think that's more of a thing on today's culture because I don't think it was too bad back then. Yeah, yeah, I I would agree. I would certainly agree. Um. (laughs) But uh, let's get back on topic and talk about some of this this direction here. Uh, Mainly, I mean, is there still, I feel like there was still something you want to talk about the dialogue in terms of the way oh yes yes yes. so one issue that i did have with the dialogue well i don't know if i want to say an issue it's 
It's something that didn't really appeal to me. Uh-huh. Uh, Mary, the way Mary writes, I don't, I don't like it. <laughs> when she's young, it's very difficult for me because she's so like talk about A, mm-hmm. and now we're on B, and then we're gonna go to C, and then we're gonna talk about one, uh-huh. and then we're gonna talk about B, and then A, and then we're on D. It was just so all over the place. And I, like, I understand she's a child mm-hmm. and she has and she, questions and she's yep. trying to figure everything out and get it all on paper. And she I mean, it's all like you can proofwrite and proofread. She doesn't understand how you like label out what you want to talk about and then build your uh, paragraphs around that. I think that's probably the main reason why Max had a huge panic attack at the start because of the all over the place and he just couldn't keep track of it all. I could see that. That's probably a large part of one of the reasons why it just sent him into the state that it did is that there were so many things come that so many questions she was asking. But I mean, let's be fair. One of the things that she asks is what is sex and where do babies come from? That's kind of a pretty big question. Yeah. But he handles it like a champ. Honestly. Yes, he does. Now, It's interesting that you say that you can't really identify or you don't like that, that, uh, the way that she writes her letters. I mean, is there something that you don't like about that in terms of like, if you received a letter that was written that way? Well, I would understand that if I received a letter this way, like the person's definitely young, so you got to cut them some slack. But I feel like I'd be like giving them a little advice and be like, hey, if you're going to talk with me, let's do like paragraphs and, you know, write down what you want to say to me first, like, you know, points and then expand (laughs) on those. Oh, God, it sounds like you'd be a teacher. You didn't have the proper mechanical structure. D minus. See me after class. (laughs) No, I mean, I'd be giving, I'd be giving pointers. I wouldn't be, uh, honestly, I really dislike our, 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 uh, school programs and I don't want to get into all of that. Um, I, I I understand that. I I just mean that the way you're phrasing that right now. No, I I feel like I would give her a little bit more structure to deal with that. Oh, okay. I see. Well, I mean, the reason why I, 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 I asked that was because, I didn't have a problem with it. <laughs> but then again, I identify with Max really well. So the way he wrote stuff back and the way he answered is very analytical and very just like straight facts and everything of just like, no, this is not where babies come from over here. This Here's is how what... you deal with bullies. Yep. Yeah, and like exactly. All that. Yeah. And, and every so often he would sprinkle in a question of himself or of himself. It's just like, do you have a kangaroo? You know? Yeah. Uh, another kind of, uh, since we're asking just random questions about our culture, I'll ask you some. And then he sends her things too. And she yep. sends things well, back. I mean, yeah. I mean, awesome. cause she sent him, cause she just like straight up sent him some chocolate. Now that probably went a, a, that probably went a great distance to just kind of already establish it of just being like, in addition to me asking all these questions, here's some food. Oh, and you love chocolate anyways. So win, win. Let's talk about cinematography now. This movie, obviously, I've said this a few times, uses claymation. Do you think mm-hmm. that this was a good choice, Cameron? Um, yes, um, but I'm not necessarily sure if it's for the reason why you're thinking that I'm thinking that is. I like it because it's a unique way to portray life, um, and it also is a way to kind of show the imperfections of daily life and deliberately have everything just be not ugly but not pretty yes so i actually call this the beauty of ugly Mm -hmm. Uh, you know when everything is so asymmetrical it could actually take away a lot from the story because if we have a very attractive mary that we're always looking at yeah and even if maxwell's a semi-attractive character played by like i don't know Hey, Philip Seymour Hoffman's a pretty attractive-looking person. Well, I mean, he was, you know, he's been deceased for, I think, a decade now. But <laughs> but anyways, I do really like the fact that they used this claymation and they just decided to stick with the beauty of ugly, as I'm going to call it. Mm-hmm. Another series that I feel does this, but not with claymation, is Big Mouth. Ah, uh, yes. A lot of people hate Big Mouth because its art is bad. 
very much like Bob's Burgers. You're not really watching it for its artistic appeal. You're watching it for everything else. Who are these people that think that Bob's Burgers is ugly? Uh, there's actually quite a few. <laughs> what? Point me out to these people. I want to hit them. Okay. <laughs> My girlfriend did not like Big Mouth or did not like uh, Bob's, Bob's Burgers. Burgers to start. Really? But then she grew and loved it because she, okay, maybe, maybe she was like able the... to not look at the picture and still love everything about it. So there are there are actually a lot of people who don't like it. And I mean, a lot of people say the same thing about Big Mouth. They say See, it's Big so Mouth, ugly. Get. Big Mouth I get because I know that when the first season came out, there were lots of people that were just like, this is so ugly. Everyone is so ugly. I mean, how the heck are they attracted to each other? And I'm sitting there going, you realize these are all like 13, 14 year olds, right? Yeah. I don't think we I think that was done make, on purpose. Yes, I don't think we should make them look good. I don't think we want to encourage any of that from the internet because you know there will be people that will do that. Exactly. So I like how it walks. In some ways, maybe that's a good thing for this too, considering that the main character, one of them, is a seven-year-old girl. And well, she does grow up, but that's even true. still, that's it's, true. It, it's weird. <laughs> I do like the way that it kind of walks away from society and wants to think what is normal and typical. And it kind of, you know, flips it upside down and makes you focus on everything that's happening around it, not exactly it. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Again, I just want to say that I'm not saying that claymation was a good choice in terms of you automatically will make things ugly. Because oh no, not at all. There's there's, there's lots of good of claymation that the people look you know good. I mean, if you think of any of the Ardman films, you know Wallace and Gromit, uh, Pirates, and whatever the subtitle is that Merry Band or some whatever, yeah, Chicken Run, uh, Flushed Away. All you of can it. absolutely make good mm -hmm. uh, claymation, yep. like appealing claymation, but they they obviously stepped away from that. And yeah. did their own thing. And I mean, it makes sense for the story that's being told. I'm not saying that it would have necessarily had less impact or felt not as authentic if um, Mary grew up and suddenly she looks like Emma Stone or something like that. But it does feel a little better with the fact that everyone looks like someone that you would just see as your neighbor. Yeah. No, totally agree with you on that. Yeah. Is there anything else that uh, you want to touch on for that? or? No, Maybe. let's talk about the direction and color. One of the things <laughs> that Mary sends Max mm -hmm. is a pom-pom. Oh, yeah. Now, when it comes to the color mm -hmm. and that everything around Mary's life is very brown scale, whereas... Max is very grayscale. Well, it's brown at the start. Yes. Because her life changes as she grows. Mm hmm And there's more color in her life as she grows up. And um, it's just as she grows into being a more confident person, all of a sudden there's color just all around her. Her life is colorful. Yes. And then we have Max, who just continues to live in gray. In gray, because he... I guess he just doesn't see that color in the world. Well... Except for the stuff that Mary sends him. Yep. And that's one of the things that really struck me was the pom-pom always stayed red. Mm. And I loved that so much. Like, these little details that they threw in. Yeah, it's actually kind of interesting because it... Rem <laughs> It made me think of another movie that I don't know if this was necessarily the effect that they wanted, but it happened anyways. Uh, it reminded me of Schindler's List because Schindler's List was put in black and white, and that was a choice by Spielberg to do that. But there is a very specific character who has some color in it, and they're the only person who has color in the movie. And if you've seen Schindler's List... You know exactly why I'm bringing this up. If you haven't, I guess I'm going to spoil the movie a little bit for you. The character is a little girl and she wears a red dress. Or, no, 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 it's not red a red jacket. dress. It's a jacket. That's right. It's a jacket. Yeah, red jacket. Um, she's a Jewish girl. And the reason why this is important for the part of the movie is that 
because she's Jewish, that means that she ends up dying. Because when Schindler first sees her, she's just a little girl who's just out there doing life as well as she can in the ghetto. And he's just kind of like, oh, there's a girl who's wearing a red jacket. Oh, isn't that a thing? Huh. And then the next time he sees her, she is a body in a whole pile of other bodies. But her, she's still wearing a red jacket. And so Schindler sees that, and that's where he has his change of heart of being like, I need to save as many Jewish people as I can, instead of just ignoring them, and potentially just, you know, using their labor for my own game. Instead, it's, I can use their labor as an excuse to stop them from going to a place where they're just going to get killed. Yeah. So, the use of color in A Sea of Grey is important to point out that this is important, you need to pay attention which is the same thing that we have with Max as well. He, there is no color in his world, but the fact that he has little bits of color that stick out, like the red pom-pom that he puts on his yarmulke, is very important in his life. Yes. And signifies how important Mary is in his life too. Oh, it's beautiful. It's an unbelievable touch, and I really like that you can add that to it. Because uh, even his goldfish of... don't have color. Yeah. <laughs> so let's kind of move on a little bit here and talk about another thing. Um, let's talk about emotional immersion therapy. It's something that I kind of wanted to deal with. Now, I do understand and I recognize that autism is not something that is nurtured. It is oh. part of your nature, mostly. Oh, oh, okay. So okay, like having the... You know, having autism is not something that you necessarily learn or lack of learning. Yeah. But I do feel that uh, in some cases, like this movie might stand, uh, it might kind of show that if you forget or Mm -hmm. if you miss something, you're going to kind of get left behind. Now, the person that we know that has the autism, Mm -hmm. he's very well adjusted Uh, He does have his issues, his quirks, his flaws and all that. But ultimately, uh, he still had a wife, kid, all of that stuff. And he's still a a very functioning person in terms of relationships. Mm -hmm. Whereas Max is definitely not that. Uh, I wanted to talk about how the fact that, like, did Max being left out of all of this become, like, did he... Is that how he became so far behind? Do you f- think that that could be a thing? Well, there, um, it's it's entirely possible. I mean, he his parents died when he was around Mary's age. I believe the film points out like they don't die at the same time, um, but he loses both of his parents before the age of ten, and then he goes and lives in like group homes and things like that. So doesn't he like live with the uh, with the Jewish people because he was Jewish before he became atheist? Yeah, he I'm lived pretty, with, with a. No, I'm pretty sure he he came from a Jewish family. Yeah, like uh, so, like even his parents were Jewish. Did the like synagogue take him in or something? I don't along think those lines? that was the case. I I can't remember exactly the specific circumstances of what happened after. Oh no, it wasn't a synagogue. He went to a convent. A convent, was, that's what it, it was. was. Like he, it was nuns that, that were looking after him after that point. Yeah, that makes um, sense, yeah. That might also explain things like his relationship with sex and sexuality. Because who better to teach you about that stuff than uh, sisters of Christ who have you know married themselves to a ghost or a zombie, depending on who you ask. <laughs> it's very true, but I feel like a lot of uh, Aboriginal people would have very different things to say about that. But... Uh, yeah, I'm sure they would. And but, uh, I'm sure it wasn't too much better for him, considering it was Jewish and he went to a, a Catholic. Catholic one. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but uh, so do you think that maybe, maybe he, like, I would say that Max is asexual. He, an aromantic. He's not willing to have any of that. Especially when we find out uh, that one girl that's in the Overeaters Anonymous. Uh, she meetings. keeps looking at him and he doesn't understand why. And then and she kisses him. him and he like is not okay with it. Yeah, he has no idea what's going on. So do you think that maybe he never really learned that? And that's why he doesn't have it? 
Like, do you think that could be, I'm not saying that's the case for everybody, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not painting everything with a brush here, but in his case, do you think that that could be a thing? Oh, absolutely. Um, I can think of plenty of people that are very sheltered and therefore uh, do not understand intricacies of intimacy. Yeah, there's some fun alliteration there. Oh, yes. (laughs) Um. And that's not, I mean, I'm not saying that's their fault or that they're wrong for not understanding, you know, that there is more than just sex for procreation, Um, because some people might just not be into that at all. Asexuality, but not, you know, aromantic. Yeah. But so again, like you can be asexual, but that doesn't mean you're aromantic, right? So you still connect with someone and you still want to be with them and you still want to have intimacy. You just can't do that stuff like Todd in BoJack Horseman. Perfect example. Exactly. He gets along quite well with everyone in his life and he has lots of fun. But every time sex comes up, he's just like... Um, not for me. No, I no, I'm not okay with this. I'm not comfortable, and that's fine because everything else he does seems to do quite well with everybody else. So in this case, I think kind of the problem is that with Max, he didn't learn anything, and considering the circumstances that he grew up in, the time period, uh, the place that he was. He probably wasn't going to learn anything anyways. And if he did ask those questions, he probably got a ruler to his hand or other fun things like that. Yeah. So he probably just is like, yep, nope, I'm not thinking about that. I'm ignoring it all because it's going to bring back bad memories. Apparently, you know, we have a panic attack. Apparently Jewish kids are, you know, dropped off by a a rabbi uh, and uh, that's that's it. That's all I know. No more questions, please. (laughs) See, one thing that I do find kind of really interesting about is Max really does want this relationship with Mary to work. And he tries pretty hard with it because he really did have, like, he got himself isolated. It's kind of his fault, but it's also kind of not. And let's be honest, the relationship he has with his neighbor is more of a social worker than a friend. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. Mary was actually going to be somebody that he could talk with and, like, have these discussions Things that he never really had before. Like, mm-hmm. I'm sure when he was in, in all of his different groups and that, he would discuss things with them. But um, I'm willing to bet he was one of the people who kind of talked last. Or he would start to talk and somebody would step over him or Or he would just kind him. of blather on and then everyone would just be like, okay, all right, Max, someone else's turn. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. So <laughs> do you think that Mary... You think Mary really gave him like a sense of fulfillment in terms of his social welfare, his social well-being? Honestly, I feel that she gave him a sense of fulfillment, period. That's true. Because that's the whole thing about, again, he kept every single letter and he put it above him. Now, let's not get too far into this. I, now. I know, I know, I know. But we know that he saved every letter because he talked, they talk about that in the film as well. Like they talk about how he saved every single thing that she sent him. That's yeah. why his apartment becomes so much more colorful. It's because everything that she sent him was important. It's also why when he, uh, when he tries to reconcile their relationship after uh, what, after Mary's great betrayal, and he sends his whole novelet co- collection to her because he knows that they both love that show. And so he's like, you never had novelets. You had to make your own, but I have them all. So here, you get to have them all. And this is my way of saying, I'm sorry. I, well, no, no. It's I not, forgive it's not, you. I'm, yes, I, I forgive you. you. Yeah, She's the one who needs to apologize for what she did. And she absolutely did try to apologize. Yes. Uh, she, do that, want, she do felt talk, awful Do you want to talk about that? About that specific part? Um, um, not yet, not yet. Okay. Actually, let's I mean, talk it's, about... It's kind of important. <laughs> sure, let, let's talk about that and let's go on with the music next, and then we can just put the cinematography before it. So, <laughs> Mary's Great Betrayal, right? Yeah, so Mary's Great Betrayal. Uh, this is unbelievable part about it, because she tells Max that she's made this movie, or this book. No, 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 she, yeah, she basically she, she wrote, like, she wrote, a wrote thesis her thesis about yeah. like how he needs help and how she's going to try to give that to them. 
And of course, this infuriates him because he, like not too long ago, just explains that he's not damaged. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, sure, he thinks different, but being somebody with autism doesn't mean you're broken. And, you know, you have your own, sure, you have your issues, but you have, everybody has their issues, right? Absolutely. So he didn't see himself as being somebody who needs this help. And he was unbelievably angry at her obviously so angry to the point where he ripped out the m in his typewriter which is what he used to to write his messages to her Mm -hmm. so and sent it to her say anything so that he can't send anything to mary anymore yes um or well at the very least can't even spell her name the important thing here is actually the key word that mary says and it's not that she'll help him it's that she's going to fix Fix him him. that's right fix him yes and I, i this is another one of those things where, again, I relate a whole lot to Max and his reaction. I I relate to the spirit of it. I don't know if I would necessarily cut Mary out of my life the way he did because he did. But the reaction that he had, I I completely get and I agree with what he did because autistic people are not broken people. We are people that just have different brain chemistry than people that are mm, neurotypical or, you know, neuronormative, we'll say. That doesn't mean that we are damaged goods. It just means that things are slightly... Yes. What do you do? You have your own issues. You have your own faults. Exactly. Everybody's got their own problems. Yeah, exactly. So if you say that you need... You need to fix someone with autism. I mean, feels like maybe you need to fix someone who, uh, um, someone who just you know goes through life not ever ans- asking any questions about what is going on in their life. That just accepts everything that comes to them. Yeah. What's wrong with them? What's their problem? What needs to be fixed there? <laughs> A lot of problems there, if you ask me. But, but well, yeah. So let's. Uh, at the end of the day, he does send. Mary, the fact that he says he, I forgive you, sends him the noblet or sends her the noblet. Yeah, right. Uh, but and then I mean, Mary does end up going to meet him because she's always wanted to do that. Now, thankfully, we can thank her uh, agoraphobic neighbor for that because she wouldn't have been able to get to Max if it wasn't for him. Yeah, because he managed to ring the doorbell and keep her from committing suicide. Well, and, and I mean, and the reason why is because the noblets and the, the package was just sitting there. Yeah. And she was just checking the sherry like her mother was and mixing it with Valium, too. Yeah. That's a I think her mom did that, too, though. Yeah, so. I think so. So, like mother, like daughter... Well, I wouldn't say that too much because her mother was a complete train wreck and she wasn't. It's true. It's true. Mary is not a kleptomaniac like her mother was. Nope. Um, But, I mean, the reason why I say that is that just for whatever reason, even though you think you're not going to become like your parents, you just somehow end up kind of falling down the same path. path. Yeah. Despite something, something happens and all of a sudden... There you are going down the same path. Yep. And it only takes a huge gesture to get you off of that, which, of course, is what we get from both Max and Len, her neighbor. Yep. It's good to have neighbors, right, Ma- Right, Miles? <laughs> of course. Now, of course, Mary decides to go see Max, mm-hmm. and she brings her child with her, and gets to the apartment, opens up the door, and finds out that he actually is dead. And she's kind of sad. Mm-hmm. I would say melancholy is definitely the emotion here. Well, and she looks around and shocked, sees everything. Right? Well, I mean, of course you're going to be shocked because you found a dead person. It's also someone that I get the feeling. It was a that, friend, right? Yeah. I mean, I get the feeling that she must have planned this out. I mean, she had to have because I can't imagine he would be very happy with her just randomly showing up at his apartment without there being some correspondence beforehand about, I'm going to come to America to visit you. Yeah. Like, she had to have known that by that point, that you can't just show up at his apartment. That's I'm not... pretty sure he... she. I'm pretty sure they talked about it, and then she left. Yeah. And then he passed away. Right. And then, uh, of course, by the time she gets there, it was 
Too late. Too late, yeah. <laughs> but she did see that he kept all the letters and put them all on his ceiling. Yeah. Which was unbelievable. Yes. There is also something else unbelievable about this scene, and that was the music that they were using. Um, so the interesting thing about the music that we have, like, in the whole movie is that there isn't, like, a score for the film. Adam Elliott basically just took pieces of music that he really liked and felt were appropriate. Like the theme song that Mary has, that little do 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 it's all nice and happy and upbeat, right? Yep. And it's um I think the the title of it is a Perpetuum Mobile, which is like perpetual motion. Yep. It's uh I can't recall what the name of the orchestra is. You know, we might put it in there or something like that. It's just a really cool piece of music that really fits the tone of like Mary having a pretty nice life, all things considered, right? I think all the music was really, really good. I mean, even using K sera sera, right? Uh, well, it was for... a perfect uh, melody for the slowed down. More... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's even. I mean. The original version of that that Doris Day sings is already kind of a, yeah, whatever will be, will be, so life goes on sort of thing. It's and now taken instead, a, like a, a more happier tone, but here we get a lot more of a somber tone. I know, I, I know. I mean, <laughs> it's kind of funny just what setting something that might have been in a major key and then singing it in a minor key can make a huge difference from taking a song that maybe is supposed to be kind of profound and just kind of, huh. That's a thing. Did you ever think about that? No, I didn't either. To suddenly be like, this is depressing. Life is horrible. Life sucks. And then you die. Which is kind of... Or makes sense, life sucks right? and you live on. I mean, it kind of makes sense for the way they have it. Because this is the one where Mary is, about to com- is in the process of committing suicide. Yeah. Anyways, moving on to the thing that really got me is the final piece of music that we have when she gets into Max's apartment. Um, She starts off with her theme song with the Perpetuum Mobile playing, and then she gets into his apartment, and then it changes over to a piece of music that is called the Humming Chorus. This is a piece of music from uh, an opera called uh, Madama Butterfly. Um, It's a it's a pretty famous opera. I think at some point I'll probably have you watch it too. Well, I'll probably watch it. Um, a quick synopsis of it. Uh, Madame Butterfly is, is uh, the name of uh, Tio Tio, a Japanese teenager. And Tio Tio means butterfly. Yep. Uh, who falls in love with uh, an American... He's in the Navy or something like that. And this is like turn of the century, 1890s or something like that. So... She meets this guy, and he's like, oh, hey, this Japanese teenager has got a thing for me. Cool. Let's get married. And they do, and her family doesn't like it, and she says, screw you. I'm just going to stay with him. And then he's like, uh, no, I got to go back to the States and abandons her and doesn't really have any plans on coming back, despite the fact that she actually has a child with him. And they somehow get that information out to him. And so he's like, oh, great. Now I need to actually have to come back. And he ends up bringing his wife with him from the States. Real, real great guy (laughs) this guy is. But where the piece of music comes in is that uh, this is the end of the second act of three-act opera. And Butterfly has been told that he's coming back. Uh, his ship has been uh, has been seen in the harbor, so obviously that means that he's going to come there. And so she has this scene in her house where she's getting the place all cleaned up with her maid um, and putting out all these flowers and things like that. And then after that, she stays up for the rest of the night, and the child goes to bed with the with the maid, and she just stays up waiting for him to show up because. She thought he was coming that night. And so you get to hear this humming chorus of there's no one else on stage, but you hear this really eerie sound of humming from the from the chorus off stage. And it's just so profound because you want everything to turn out well for her, but you know it's not. 
it has this it has this feeling of hopefulness but also of melancholy and just real sad and dour because again as much as you might want things to turn out great they probably aren't and in Butterfly's case they don't because when he does finally show up with his wife she ends up going and committing suicide because she's brought shame on her family and all this other stuff it's I have lots of issues with this opera despite the fact that the music is great but it's such a beautiful and just perfect piece of music for Mary and Max because it's the same emotional beats she was so hopeful to meet Max for the first time in her life and now she's just sad because he passed away but there's also that last tiny little bit of hopefulness because of the fact that she saw how profound, how, how important their relationship was in their life because he's looking up at all of the letters. And when she sits down next to him and she looks up and she sees all the letters too. And she sees every single thing that she sent him and it's all there and it's basically like a shrine to their relationship. And he's got a smile on his face and everything. And so, She's happy because he was happy. She's yes. upset that he's dead, but she's happy because she made him happy. Yeah. It was beautiful. Beautiful ending to an unbelievably good movie. Like, I... <laughs> it's not often that I'm watching a movie and a, and a classical piece hap- comes up and I, and I have the reaction that I did. I, I was like, whoa... They didn't choose this for no reason. <laughs> you don't you don't choose a piece of music like this just just because it sounds nice. Personally, I think that that's the perfect way to end this. Yeah. It yeah, you know, the I music so is too. so important in this movie too. Just as important as the color and mm-hmm. the cinematography and the claymation that they use and all that. But it has to come to an end. Just yes, like this podcast this uh, synapse. Yes, that is true. So uh, all good things must come to an end, right? Unfortunately. Well, not always, but sometimes. <laughs> That's true. So, thank you guys for listening. I'm Miles. And I'm Cam. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>